I want to see our kids walking confident in their identity and walking in the Spirit of God. And so in Luke 24, verse 49, I'm just tell this to you. Before Jesus ascended, he had walked the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. Right before he lifted up to heaven, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the promise, capital P, of the Father comes upon them. And that word promise comes from Joel chapter 2, verse 28 in the Old Testament. This scripture, Jesus was quoting from Joel 2:28, and I want to show it to you. These are the days that God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. These are the days. This is now. It happened at Pentecost, and it never stopped. And so in Joel 2.28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward, which is now, that God will pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. And the first thing that would happen is the generation coming up behind us would be so mightily impacted, the sons and the daughters would be so full of the Spirit that they would prophesy. Then it goes on to say that the old men would dream dreams and the young men would see visions. Now, one of the things that I love so much about the scripture is it doesn't actually give a year to young and old. So in my mind, I'm still young, despite what my wife says. So, so young men, old men, fathers, parents, everything about this scripture is that families would be impacted with the supernatural presence and power of God. What we need in our homes is the presence of God to awaken our children to the more God has for them now. Dreams, signs and wonders, visions, that God is a reality and so much greater than anything that comes out of Hollywood. We need our kids spirit-filled and moving in the wondrous power of God so that they can flame on and become everything God wants them to become. And what I love about this scripture is it says that the young men would see visions, dreams would be activated in all of our lives, and that the sons and daughters would prophesy. Now let me demystify prophesy for you. To prophesy simply means to be a mouthpiece used and equipped and yielded for the purpose of our creator. It means that God can flow through me and I accurately reflect him in everything I say and in everything I do. God calls all of us to be prophetic. If you don't have the wind propelling your life prophetically, you will be dead as a doornail. If the Holy Spirit is not actively involved in your life every day, then you will speak your own words from your own flesh. You won't be prophetic. And so this scripture says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that the sons and daughters will prophesy. To prophesy means that as I behold and become like Jesus, I accurately reflect him and speak encouragement, comfort, strength, and I build things in front of me. To prophesy means to build. It means to foretell, not fortune tell. Psychics fortune tell. They have a prophetic gift from God that they've tuned into the wrong network, a demonic network, and they use their gift for money. But a prophetic generation, which we can all be prophetic, means that we're so beholding him and we're being transformed. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. says that as I behold Jesus and as in a mirror because the veil's taken away through Christ, that now what I'm beholding, I become. I'm transfor transformed into the image that I behold. And I go from glory 
to glory. It means you never stay the same. It means the person you are today is not the person you'll be tomorrow. It means the person you were yesterday is not the person you are today because I'm beholding him. Hence, look at the scripture. I'm transformed. I went from being a caterpillar into a cocoon into a beautiful butterfly. I went from being grounded to flying. I went from just knowing God's written word to knowing God's spoken word, the rhema, that puts wind in my sails and causes me to fly supernaturally. So you got to understand to be prophetic for sons and daughters is not just that they're walking around saying, thus saith the Lord. What it means is that they become because they behold and they're transformed and now they walk in confidence and boldness and power everywhere they go. It means they're born again, spirit-filled, rooted in their identity, rooted in the word. They know God's voice, and now they can speak God's word accurately. That's what our high schoolers need. They need the wondrous power and presence of God to transform them. That's what happened to Catherine. 16 years old, goes to Annapolis. Catherine and her mother, her, her mother started coming here, and then suddenly she comes to our Activate conference, never experienced anything like it, and gets her world rocked. She gets baptized in the Holy Spirit and flamed on to the next. She was already grounded, but she needed wings to fly. Is that right? And now she's flying. And she'll never be the same. She'll never be the same. So now we got to come into Catherine's life at 16 and rocket ship propelled you into your destiny for the rest of you. You will never be the same. Now we're going to get the Catherines and the young adults and the high schoolers coming into this church to be rocketed into their destiny. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what happens? You start to dream again. Some of you have stopped dreaming, and I'm not talking about just dreams in the night. I'm talking about dreaming and believing for the supernatural things that God has, your destiny, your purpose, the plans, all the things that God showed you when you were young and as a child, God comes and restores. But it does also mean that your, your dream language in the night will flame on. You'll spend a third of your life sleeping. You know that? A third of your life, you will be asleep. So David said, while I sleep, my heart's awake. And in the night, God can show you through movie reels and visions and dreams. And now we teach our kids to take those dreams and make them a reality, to listen to them prophetically. We teach them what it means to walk in the power and the authority of God. When you see somebody get delivered of a demon, it will rock your world. You know, Jesus did deliverance publicly. He did it publicly because you really see the authority and power of the Lordship of Christ when somebody that's possessed has a demon. We don't have to go watch the, the, the exorcist from Hollywood. And I'm not saying we got to walk around and just be busting up demons everywhere. What we teach our, our high schoolers, our children, all of us, what we should be doing is an accurate reflection because your reflection will bring the correction. Your reflection will bring the correction. What you are beholding is what you are reflecting. And as these kids learn to behold Jesus, they in turn will walk in the presence and the power of God to bring healing. Deliverance or casting out demons is really just bringing healing to somebody's life, right? And so we know that Joel 2.28 was fulfilled in Acts 2.17. In Acts 2, what do we have? The day of Pentecost. It's 10 days from Luke 24.49. 
Jesus ascends. Ten days later, someone descends. Someone by the name of God, the Holy Spirit. And when uh, the Holy Spirit descended on Pentecost, what happened? Joel 2.28 was fulfilled. And guess what? It never stopped. There's no scripture that says it ended. God is still pouring out his spirit today, just like he did on Pentecost. And the challenge is, is that we haven't either experienced it or gone after it enough, or we've made it abnormal in most churches, when the truth is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire has to be a vital doctrinal foundation of any church. It has to be, because it's the equipping for the more. Let me give you an example. In Acts 6, the apostles, the church blows up to 5,000 people. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles realize that they're overwhelmed and they can't do everything. So they raised up ministers by the name of deacons. There were seven of them. One of them was by the name of Philip. Philip, I'm going to paraphrase the story for you, Acts 6. Philip goes into Samaria, and what happens? He starts busting up demons. You can go read this for yourself. People get saved. People are getting born again. He flips the city upside down. And in the city is a sorcerer. The sorcerer's name is Simon. And the city believed that Simon was the great dunamis or power of God. You can go read this for yourself. And Simon is like, he flips because everybody was following him and paying him as a fortune teller. Here comes Philip. He doesn't start speaking against Simon. He doesn't have prayer marches against demonic forces. He doesn't start casting Simon and all of his stuff down. What does he do? He flips the city by the contrast. You know how we're going to flip this city and you're going to flip your city? By, you know we're going to flip this nation? By the contrast. It's the difference between the light and the dark. And the light always outshines the dark because all the dark is is absence of light. When you flame on and become, the light in you will drive back the darkness in your city, in your nation, in your home, in your life. Because now, if you look at me, what am I reflecting? Me? Or Jesus? Are you reflecting yourself or Jesus? And when you start reflecting Jesus, the light of the world, you, Jesus in you, outshines the darkness. And that's what Philip did in Samaria. The whole city gets flipped, and guess who gets born again? Simon the sorcerer. He gets born again, and the whole city gets, gets saved. Now we fast forward to Acts 21, and Philip has moved to a, a maritime city, a, a, a marine port by the name of Caesarea. It was the Roman Judeo capital of Israel at the time, where Herod the Great built a palace. I've been there. And Philip's living there. He's doing evangelism. He's ministering to Caesarea, the Roman capital of Israel. And what happens? Acts 21.8. The Apostle Paul says, then we went to Caesarea and stayed for several days in the home of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven deacons. And guess what else was happening? He had four daughters, unmarried virgins, and what did they do? They prophesied. Let me explain it to you. Philip had daughters that knew Jesus as their first love. Because if you don't capture the heart of this generation to have a first love, First love, not losing their virginity to some random guy on a one-night stand at a club or a bar or a party. 
like I did, like many of you did. If we can capture the hearts of our high schoolers and even our junior high, we have a powerful junior high ministry, but if we can capture them now, they will become so enamored with Jesus as their first love, there will not be any other. Now, it doesn't mean that they didn't go on to get married, and it doesn't mean they won't go on to get married. But what it means is that our, 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 the next generation has a foundation of Jesus as their first love. And guess what happens when Jesus is your first love? You prophesy. Catherine, you're going to prophesy to your school. You're going to prophesy to those students and all your friends, and you're going to be a key, integral part of this church to reach the next generation because you really are in many ways the first fruit for what's to come. And so now you learn to prophesy. To prophesy requires confidence. To prophesy requires boldness. To prophesy requires that it's not what I do, it's who I am. I don't have to try to prophesy. It's my nature. It's because Jesus is in me. If Jesus is in you, your nature should be prophetic. And so notice Philip, the great reward and promise of Acts 2, Luke 24, 49, and Joel 2, 17 was fulfilled in Philip's life. How many of you are parents or will one day be parents and are gonna have children that you wanna be full of the spirit with Jesus as their first love in prophesying? I have a five and six-year-old. I am fully preparing now that my kids will be set up to walk in the supernatural power of God. This is what this youth ministry is gonna be about. And the reason why God highlighted Francisco and Nicole to me and then ultimately the leadership team is because I know that's what's in you. Because you are awakened with the breath and the fire and the power of God to prophesy in the streets and to take these kids out of their comfort zone and go downtown at two o'clock in the morning when the bars are emptying out and high schoolers are gonna be there worshiping and prophesying a whole new youth movement full of fire and integrity and purity, bringing it to the streets in the nation of this world. That's what's gonna happen. That's what's gonna happen. No, listen, that's what's gonna happen. That's what I'm telling you. So you jump over to Psalm 144. Now, let me tell you something about Psalm 144 before you pull it up. There are two Psalms, Psalm 144 and Psalm 149. Listen to what I'm saying. Psalm 144 and Psalm 149 are spiritual warfare Psalms. They're warfare Psalms. These Psalms were used in the training and preparation of Israel's military back in the day. And I'm going I'm to paraphrase Psalm 144 for you. In Psalm 144, everything is about being trained and equipped for war. It's about fighting an enemy that speaks lies and deception and slander against who you are, what your purposes are, and who Jesus and, or God is. It's a very real enemy that speaks against us now. So David would write this psalm in Psalm 144 and talk about God flashing his arrows and driving back demonic forces and helping him to overcome and being delivered. David, in this one psalm, one time uses his own name and he, ta he takes it personal because he says this, if you deliver me as a parent or a king or a leader in Israel, the result of me being delivered will be blessing, peace, and prosperity on my home. The biggest issue with youth ministry is not the youth. It's the parents. 
You know why? For one, our greatest plague and dilemma in our city and our nation after godlessness is fatherlessness. I guarantee you. When children and high schoolers, or when children, as they grow up, do not get nourished, do not get love and care from a father, they go sideways. The statistics of fatherlessness from crime to even homelessness, abandonment and neglect and drugs, all the things, just do a research on fatherless statistics. It's devastating. So David in this psalm says, look, God, if you deliver me, if I, if I become the man that God's called me to come, my wife, my children, my business, my home, and everything I put my hand to will be blessed and prosperous. It's a promise from God. Let me show it to you. Psalm 144, verse 12. Deliver me. Everybody say, deliver us. Now, I also want you to know, up until this point, David is speaking first person about himself, and then he brings the whole family into it and says, deliver us as a nation. Protect us. Some of you need deliverance. Deliverance, the simple term of deliverance, doesn't mean wriggling and writhing on the ground and foaming at the mouth. The the word deliverance means to be rescued from bondage. You can be in bondage to all kinds of stuff. You can be in bondage to just being half-hearted and complacent. You could be in bondage to fear. You can be in bondage to yourself. You could be in bondage to, of course, the obvious, drugs, alcohol, addictions, whatever it is. Deliverance has to first start with the parents and starts at home. So David says, deliver us, and guess what will happen? When you get delivered, here's a promise from God. Your home will be a happy place. Come on, guys. This is awesome preaching right here. Let's just take ownership and self-deprecate. If God delivers me from my insecurities or fears or worries or doubts or uncertainties, and I'm not rested in who he is, then my home will be a place of contention, not a happy place. God has to deliver me. We all need another level of freedom, clarity, and deliverance from something. It's a constant process of God refining and preparing us so that our home life, our children, our families, and it goes on to talk about your barns, your vineyards, your fields, all being prosperous and blessed. And so he says, deliver us so our homes will be happy, and look what will happen. Our sons will grow up as strong, sturdy men, and our daughters will with graceful beauty, royally fashioned for a palace. And I'm going to camp on this for just a moment because I love this so much, this scripture. This is really a foundational scripture for our future. And it ties right in with living stones and the cornerstone. The New King James Version of this scripture says that our sons would grow up as tender plants and our daughters sculpted pillars palace style. That's the New King James Version. You know what the King James Version says? It says that our sons will grow up as, as plants, but our daughters will be cornerstones in the similar same fashion as a palace. Our daughters will be cornerstones. This whole scripture is about a vineyard and a house because the patterns of the kingdom are vineyards 
gardens and houses that we are building ultimately for, to host the Holy Spirit as a temple of God. That's why in Revelation 21 it says, John the Revelator was taken to a high mountain in the Spirit by an angel. And out of the mountain came the new Jerusalem. And it said that the new Jerusalem was shining as a precious stone. And ultimately, what God is building is a habitation, and our sons and daughters get sculpted, cut, they get cut, they get polished, they get sculpted, and they get put into position. And so these scriptures talk about sons and daughters being plants and pillars in God's house. Let me break it down for you. Strong, sturdy men or tender plants means that our sons are vigorous. They're vigorously growing up. They're soft and delicate, not hard. We're not making our sons and daughters hardened like maybe some of us were from our own parents. Instead, we're teaching them to be tender. Doesn't mean they're not going to be men's men and they're not going to grow up strong in the Lord, but we're not hardening them through the hardships of this life like maybe we were raised. They're tender, and we treat them tenderly. Do you understand? It's a tender shoot. It's a plant coming up out of the ground that could easily be trampled or cut down or mowed down, but we're cultivating and nourishing them to become mighty trees. And they're going to grow up. Notice the words grown up. To, the, the words grown up in the Hebrew have this incredible understanding that they're going to become important that they're going to be promoted, that they're going to become majestic, they're going to be made powerful, they're going to be magnified, and they're going to be nourished. They can't grow up without nourishment. They can't become great and be magnified because God wants to exalt you. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will do what? He'll lift you up or exalt you. He exalts us to exalt him. So our sons and daughters are going to grow up they're going to become a real man after God's own heart. It's the result of delivered parents that have overcome the adversary. The daughters, graceful beauty, royally fashioned for a palace, sculpted pillars for a palace, polished cornerstones. When you do some research on the word polished or sculpted, do you know what the first meaning is? It means cut down. Because God always has to cut us down so that we can decrease so that he can increase. They can't become polished cornerstones until they're cut out of the quarry. They can't become diamonds and rubies and precious gems until they're harvested out of the ground and then fashioned by another stone that creates them to be what they're called to be. And so our daughters, this is an understanding that our daughters and our sons now become foundations for the future of what we're building. That's what this means. And David said, if we get rescued and delivered ourselves, our homes, our house, everything we put our hand to will cultivate sons and daughters to become what they're called to become. It's a pattern. What's the pattern of a palace? They're sculpted and grown to become the pattern of a garden or a palace. 
And I'll leave you with this scripture. Luke 2, 51 through 52. You can turn there. Don't pull it up yet. Here's what, what's happening. Jesus and his family, when Jesus is 12, they go to Jerusalem to make sacrifice, and then they leave at the Passover. And three days out from Jerusalem, they realize they've left Jesus behind. Okay? This is the story in Luke 2. They're three days out. All the relatives, all the family, they somehow miss Jesus. And they start looking for him frantically. They go back to Jerusalem and they go to the temple and they find Jesus reasoning with the scribes and the chief, the, the chief priests and the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees having conversation and dialogue with them. And Mary shows up and basically rebukes Jesus and says, you know, don't you know that your father and I have been looking for you? Now, Jesus, his whole life had been going to the synagogue or the temple. And his whole life, he had to discover who he was. And I believe it was at 12 years of age, which is the, is the age of manhood coming into adulthood in uh, the Jewish culture. At 12, they step into manhood or womanhood. Jesus would connect the dots by listening, by going there his whole life with his parents to synagogue or the temple, listening to the word and connect the dots that the person they're talking about is him. Even Jesus had to have his diapers changed. Even Jesus had to learn to walk. Even Jesus had to learn to talk. And it was finally at 12 years of age when Mary comes and says, didn't don't you know we've been, your father's been looking for you? What does Jesus say? He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? He gets the revelation of who he is, but what would happen for the next 18 years? Luke 2.51. It says that Jesus went down with his parents and he came to Nazareth and he was fully submitted, subject in honoring who? his parents. But his mother kept all these things in his heart because that was a pretty powerful thing that just happened. So she cultivated it. She prayed over him. She believed in the promise. And then verse 52 says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So for 18 years from the age of 12 all the way to 30, Jesus would increase in wisdom and stature. And what's going to happen at Rock City Church is that our sons and daughters at an early age, starting in the children's ministry in your house, will get born again, discover their identity, but now we're going to raise them together as a family in wisdom and stature and increase them. We're going to increase them. To increase means to be, this word increase, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it means to be advanced forcefully, okay? It means to be beat with a hammer and lengthening like a silversmith or a metal worker would hammer soft metal until it begins to take shape and then form it into its hardened state. So what we're really doing is we are increasing families and sons and daughters. How? Teaching them to fight right, teaching them to stand confidently in their identity, teaching them spiritual warfare, filling them with the Spirit, 
causing them to fight back the lies and deception of the spirit of this age and this world so that they can be fashioned into their purpose. And that's what would happen with Jesus. To increase means to go further. To increase means to be promoted. To increase means that where we are now is not where we're going to be tomorrow. And, and he increased in wisdom and stature. I love the word stature because it means to be matured, to become a man, and to become fit for his purpose. So Jesus had to have a strong family. He had to be submitted to his parents. He had to be consistent in his pursuit and understanding of the written word of who he was, and then ultimately only moved by what his Father in heaven said. Notice Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. And I want to teach your children, my children, and the families to come, because there's a lot more coming to Rock City Church. This is just the beginning of what it means to increase in wisdom and stature, what it means to become sons and daughters full of the Spirit, to prophesy and walk in the supernatural, to dream dreams, and to be fully equipped for anything that's thrown at them in this world.